She's a real woman with a real life. She's someone you can relate to. Dawn Newton. Welcome to the Don Newton Podcast. I am your host, Don Newton. So just how queer are ducks? You know, we're taught that the natural order means male-female pairs for each animal on Earth. Darwin's theory of natural selection only seems to confirm it. Aren't heterosexual pairings the best way forward for any species? You know, queer behavior in animals is as diverse and complex and as natural as it is in our own species. It doesn't set us apart from animals. It bonds us even closer to our animal selves. Joining me today is Elliot Schrever, author of Queer Ducks and Other Animals. Elliot's here to tell us about the diversity of sexual behavior in the animal world and why it matters. Elliot Schrever, it's great to talk with you. You, oh my gosh, you're a two-time National Book Award finalist and New York Times bestselling author. You're joining us today to talk about your book, your latest book, Queer Ducks and Other Animals. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So let's talk about Queer Ducks. This is, it's um, very informative, it's funny, and this is geared for queer kids to help them less feel less alone. And I think, you know, the educational piece I think is very valuable. Talk about the book. How did this come about for you? Yeah, of course. Yeah, so... Um, Queer Ducks, actually, most of its readers so far have been adults, um, because I think they're just really interested in the material, but to an awareness of their own, they might fall into the LGBTQ spectrum. So, um, you know, I know when I was a young person, the big conversation at the lunch table in middle school was, you know, it's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. And when you're a middle schooler, like if something rhymes, it's true, right? I just internalized that as as a young person. And now... As someone who's studying evolutionary biology and animal studies, I came across it's been a big 20 years of research into same-sex sexual behavior in animals. And we have this assumption, it's reasonable, but we have this assumption that only male-female procreation would get offspring into the next generation, so therefore anything else is like an evolutionary dead end. And so uh, we assumed it was some aberration. But as we really look into it, you know, Nature, the foremost science journal, uh, just published that there's 1,500 different animal species with really substantial same-sex sexual behaviors for a variety of, of reasons. So, uh, you know, animals, the, the, the foremost reason that animals will, will engage in, in homosexual sex is just that it produces oxytocin, which is something that all animals produce when they're in physical contact that is a bonding hormone. And so you produce alliances within the group through sexual activity as an animal. And so the animals will also have male-female sex, will still procreate, but they are taking advantage of these um, really important social relationships that come about through same-sex sexual behavior. So I'm curious as to how did we learn that this was happening? How did we, who trailblazed the way to learn about this? Well, one of the big reasons that this is only kind of coming out recently is that animals, the majority of animals are sexually monomorphic, which means males and females look the same to human eyes. Like it's very hard to distinguish a male and a female penguin or a pigeon. Uh, And so we, when we see two of them mating, we just assume that they were a male and a female. Uh, And, 
the, if a parrot was a male or a female, just by putting it in another parrot's cage and saw who mounted whom when they had sex. And then would say, okay, this one mounted the other one, that's a male, that's a female. And uh, he would just log it in his book. Um, but very quickly, he realized like all his data was totally scrambled. That actually the, the parrot, like whatever parrot was the newest one to enter this cage was the one that would take a submissive role. And then the other one would be dominant, whether this was two females, a male and a female, or a male and a male. And so the parrots were using sexual behavior in order to show that, to, to smooth over what could be hurt feelings by entering each other's territory. Uh, and so this was, you know, back in the, in the 60s that he discovered this information. Uh, and it's, it's been a slow growth for us because we all are products of our culture. And we have this Noah's Ark version of what animal sexuality is, right? That it's a male and a female of each species coming together. And we, we allow in humans, we know that humans have sex for a broad variety of motivations, only one of which is procreation. Um, but we haven't allowed animals the same latitude in the way that we examine them scientifically. And now that we are thinking about all the various benefits they might be reaping from same-sex sexual behaviors, we're finding it in more and more species, and the number just keeps ticking upward. Why is this important for us to know this? I mean, studying animals and their behaviors, you know, that would be a component of their behavior. What does it do for us as humans, or how does that impact the bridging that gap or, or bringing that together? What is the, I guess, the correlation? It's, you know, I think a lot of people who are your listeners are probably thinking like, well, this only goes so far, right? We, we're not... Should we should we be like animals? Like, can't we be different as humans? Like, um, like no one. If you start advocating for human behavior from animals, you enter a lot of like, animals do some weird stuff, right? Like, the <laughs> females will eat the male after they have sex if you're a praying mantis or a spider, and well, no one's saying that we should do that, right? So, um, I understand that the argument only goes so far in that direction, but it's actually kind of getting queer ducks wrong. Like, I'm not trying to advocate for human behaviors from animals. Instead, what is coming out in the research and is really absolutely the truth is that we can no longer think that humans are alone and unnatural for their non-hetero behaviors or, or gender identities. That instead that we have a deep history within the natural world um, as LGBTQ people of animals who have also um, had those identities within, within their species. So this accusation of unnaturalness that is often lobbed at um, queer people is, has a really negative consequence, especially on, on young people. You know, the Trevor Project just did a survey last year of LGBTQ teenagers and, saw, and found that 42% of them had considered suicide. Um, and I, that's, it's all versions of this, you know, this is not the way it's meant to be. There's something wrong with you. That has a huge ripple effect on the self-esteem and the, the welfare of our young people. And it's, it's, it would be wrong even if animals weren't doing it, but the fact that it's actually factually untrue, you know, that it is, it is actually integrates us into the natural world and not distinguishes us from it is just an extra element to it. Well, and this isn't this behavior of animals, in, 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 as you write in Queer Docs, this isn't something that is just newly found. This is, we've known this for a very long time. Shedding the light on it, bringing it to the forefront, I think with that acceptance and having those conversations and th this behavior is kind of, or, or maybe is universal, you know, just even reading in our talking points about 
that central claim that homosexuality does not exist in nature, and that has been incorrect for um, history. <laughs> I mean, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> There's a really great term that comes out of uh, the, the study of this field, which is bisexual advantage, which A, would make like a really great band name for someone, <laughs> the <laughs> coffee house band. Like, I would definitely go see that act. It sounds, it sounds really fun. Um, but bisexual advantage is just the, the realization that for an animal, there's actually, they're at a disadvantage if they stick to just heterosexual sex. So like the bonobos, which are closest animal relative, um, female bonobos will have sex with males and, and they will get pregnant and they will have offspring, but they also have sex with females. I mean, to, to a one, all the bonobos are bisexual in the ways that they will have sex. And by having sex with females, they're, they're bonding with them and forming this really intense um, union. This oxytocin that gets released through this physical contact creates these really, really strong friendships and allows them to defend each other against males who would get aggressive towards them. It produces actually a lot of peace within, within the group. And so by being, by having sex, not just being bound only to have sex for procreation with males, they're actually reaping a ton of benefits socially within the group. And that also plays out in species like bottlenose dolphins, where male bottlenose dolphins uh, will have very frequent sex together. And their alliances, their lifelong bonds um, are what gives them power within the broader dolphin society and allows them to mate with the most desirable females uh, it, it produces a lot of advantages for them. Was it difficult to focus on just the animals that are in the book or is there is was it hard to pick? Yeah, I you know, I thought going in to this topic it might be like just difficult to find examples to use and within a day or two it was very quickly proving to be the, the opposite problem that there's 1,500 different animal species. Like, how do you, I only picked 10 to write about in Queer Duck, so how do you pick which, which 10 to write about? Um, and I had to let some really interesting examples just go by the wayside. Um, there's one of my favorites that didn't make it in were garter snakes, um, that, you know, garter snakes are cold-blooded, and so when it gets cold out, they're, they're really in danger. They get very sluggish, and if it gets cold enough, they, they die. And so a male garter snake, if his body temperature gets dangerously low, will release the pheromone that female garter snakes release when they're ready to mate. But this male releases that pheromone, and all the other male garter snakes in the area will make a beeline to this male, and they will start having sex. And no baby snakes are being made because it's all males, but that male who is dangerously cold now has this ton of friction, and his body temperature is going up, and his blood is getting warmed. And so it's actually a, a survival strategy, this mating ball of garter snakes, as they call it. And I know for your listeners, half of them are probably absolutely horrified right now about the idea of a, a giant ball of garter snakes. <laughs> the other half are probably like, oh, that's cool. Um, so I, I understand. I honor that. Like, this is a, a, a horrific image for a lot of people. Who do you want reading this book, Elliot? Who is this for? Well, the majority of readers have been adults so far. But I, I do, I imagined a, a young reader who is curious about the natural world and that also you know, might be going through their own struggles around their own gender identity or their, their sexual orientation. Um, really strong, lifelong messaging that just gets in subliminally around the unnaturalness of, of same-sex sexual behavior. And, and it's, that is just, it's just factually untrue. Um, it's just that sci our culture hasn't caught up to all the leaps and bounds that science has made in this field. And I think it's a really important message for 
for young people to have. And what did the work mean to you? I mean, from when you started to what we see today, the finished product of Queer Ducks. It really forced me to, to sort of open my mind to all sorts of ways that we think about human health. I think just remaining curious and being willing to, I mean, this is science, this is fact. It, it's just so much information. Where can we go, Elliot, to learn more about you and your work and find the book, Queer Ducks? Yeah, so I have, you know, there's, I have a website, elliottrafer.com, but whatever your favorite bookseller is, um, you can find Queer Ducks available. It's, we kept it a very brisk and entertaining read. It's a public-facing book, and there's some uh, illustrations uh, by uh, an artist named Jules Zuckerberg that kind of lighten the material. And uh, so you can find it wherever you wherever you buy your books. Um, and I'm, I really hope, yeah, that you, you learn some new cool things about animals. It doesn't, of course, we all have can have our own minds and our, our beliefs around the ways that humans ought to express their sexualities, but it's, there's, there's plenty to learn, and then we can make our own choices uh, given the information. Absolutely. Well said. Elliot Schrafer, I really appreciate this time and this work. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on, and thanks for the, um, the really engaging questions. Hey, thanks for listening to the Don Newton Podcast, and a special thank you to Elliot Shrever, author of Queer Ducks and Other Animals. If you'd like to visit Elliot online, elliotshrever.com is the place to go. And be sure and check out my website, donnewton.org. The Don Newton Podcast is written, produced, and hosted by Don Newton. Come, come, come.